kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's Monday. It's a little after 6 o'clock, and it's time for another edition of Auntie Nanny. With me is my happy and vivacious co-host, Miss Jeannie Kay. Hi, Miss Jeannie. How are you? Uh, later than I normally am. Hi, Dan. Hi. <laughs> me too. And the best producer, Money Camp by Very. Hi, Barry. How are you this evening? I'm fine, thank you. Okay. And I guess we will do what we've started to make a habit now and do the CASA update for the week of 2-23-2015. Hang on, I'm just waiting for Alex. Okay. Oh, so. he's in. Okay. Hello. Hi, Alex. How are you this evening? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um... Lots of legislation, <laughs> it looks like, uh, popping up everywhere. Yes. All, <laughs> yeah. So you are, you are the busiest man in Kassau, I would say. Uh, I guess so. Um, <laughs> it, I, it's, it's hard to hold a candle to Carl, um, but Carl is just, I think, generally busy, not necessarily with Kassau stuff, but... Right. Um, I guess I'll accept that title for now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, well, you guys can duel over it later. Um, what has been going on this week? Well, I, uh, I checked my list last night and added okay. a few more bills to it. And uh, I am now looking at uh, 106 bills <laughs> that are vaping related. Um, and that's not including, I think, some of the bills in Tennessee. So uh, it just keeps keeps on keeping on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, I noticed we released the Utah call to action recently. Yep, we did that uh, yesterday. Um, a little bit, a little bit late to the draw, but uh, still uh, relevant. Um, yeah. Utah Smoke Free Association, I believe I got that right, um, right. sort of started off 
some of these uh, calls to action. Um, Utah is looking at an 86.5% tax on vapor products. Um, and as we briefly explain in the call to action, uh, there are other provisions that I think will be will come out once the bill is actually introduced. Um, and something that uh, Aaron has, has pointed out, Aaron Frazier from uh, Utah Smoke Free, um, yes. has pointed out, I believe last year, this particular representative sort of played that game of waiting to the last minute to introduce stuff um, so that it, it, it puts pressure on everybody, you know, right. to pass it so it stays alive and it puts pressure on advocates to oppose this. So um, I think this week is going to be a very exciting week in Utah, um, <laughs> which I don't know. I don't, I don't know if you hear that very often, but um, <clears throat> sorry, Utah. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is, this will also contain, uh, perhaps manufacturing regulations, um, maybe even regulations at the point of sale. We're not entirely sure. Um, the one thing that jumped out at me was, so actually representative Ray has come out and said that this is, uh, he, he intends to model this after the Morgan Weber department of health regulations, uh, regarding electronic cigarettes. And um, obviously there are things, child-resistant packaging, um, tamper evident, um, the shrink wrap, and uh, they want the bottles to be leak-proof, which I kind of figure is, um, yeah. that's just good practice to begin with. Um, right. Nobody wants to buy e-liquid that's just pouring out in the <laughs> shopping bag. Um, that, that's not a very good selling <laughs> point that uh, oh yeah it's you know so um and then uh some labeling requirements uh i might be getting that confused with another bill so i'm not gonna go there um but the one thing that really jumped out at me was that they would be setting a limit for the amount of nicotine contained in e-liquid uh and they would percent wasn't it they would cap it at at three point 3.6 percent yeah yeah so 36 milligram um which uh, there are i think a small handful of us who actually vape anything above 24 milligrams um but uh to me that is kind of threatening because that would make it relatively easy it, it starts that conversation about what is the acceptable amount of nicotine in these products um right. which of course is you know, we know the toxic dose of nicotine is, is open for debate now. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, obviously we're still waiting to see whether or not that language makes it into this bill, but mm -hmm. uh, definitely keeping an eye on it. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that was exciting. <laughs> you know, last week was every time I turned around, oh, look, it's Texas. Oh, look, it's this. Oh, look, it's that. Um, so, you're what's coming up this week that's new and exciting for calls to action uh -huh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> well we released uh new hampshire today uh the one that's out is sb 105 uh which would treat vaping like smoking uh for the purposes of banning indoor use um and that's another one that's just, I, I, 
I, God, I feel like a broken record. <laughs> Just, <laughs> Sorry. New Hampshire would deceptively redefine smoking to include the use of electronic cigarettes um, just over and over again. Um, so uh, that's that. And we've also kind of tucked a little warning in there that I think we're also expecting taxes in New Hampshire. Oh, yeah. Um, Funny. The live for your die state with probably the most libertarians per square mile than anywhere else. And they're doing this. I think it's kind of hilarious actually. Maybe this is just sort of, um, I don't know. Maybe they feel they just have to do it to defeat it and say, okay, yeah, we did that. And we'll just go back to being libertarians. I doubt it. I I don't, I don't think the uh, people in charge feel that way. Let me put it that Uh, way. (laughs) So much for New Hampshire. Um, and then, um, I think actually I just got a, I just opened my email when I came home and I just got a note that, uh, I think we're going to be updating our Washington call to action. Um, there are a couple of bills that are not going to go anywhere or, um, that failed to advance to committee before deadlines. So, I believe they're they're kind of dead. I'm a little reluctant now after what we saw in Arizona. I am absolutely reluctant to call any bill dead until a sponsor holds a press release and says I'm withdrawing <laughs> the bill or oh, yeah. you know we, we reach uh Cena die, which is oh, the yeah. end of the session. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, Arizona. <laughs> Arizona's another um thing. We released that on Wednesday. Uh Wednesday morning actually and um uh, I think we had a pretty decent response to that, which was great. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, the bill was originally taken off the agenda and mm-hmm. then mysteriously given its own sort of special meeting. Um, <sighs> and the committee ran out of time right. and had to go to a full floor meeting, whatever they call it in Arizona. And, um, so they didn't actually get to hear 2648 uh, in the special meeting, but I wasn't actually able to follow up and kind of log back on later that night and see if they maybe went back to the committee room and, and met uh, to hear it. So I don't really know what's happening with that bill. Uh, apparently there is a group that has been meeting with lawmakers um, so we're following that in Arizona. Um, and there's, there's a couple of bills in Arizona, um, not to get too specific yet. Um, what else are we looking at this week? Updating Washington will likely do something for Ohio. Uh, SB 64, I believe is the Ohio budget. Um, and, um, I did notice uh, that uh, I think last week you, you sent me that that list of, of bills that had been introduced yeah. since the, the 14th, yes. um, which was helpful. I got a few out of that that were vaping related. Um, and uh, Iowa is on the list for taxes, mm-hmm. which made Julie very happy. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah, she, she can really enjoy that. Yeah. Yay, taxes. Everybody loves them. They're the coolest. I'm I'm sure she's really thrilled to 
be and go, be able to go testify and all of that fun stuff. So <laughs> nobody actually really likes getting up in front of a room of people, room full of people, some of which don't like you <laughs> yeah. and try to tell them why they shouldn't do something. But you, you have to. You have to. Uh, that's the only way to deal with these people now. Um, and uh, apparently the more public, the better. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Iowa. Uh, poor, poor Iowa. Um, yeah. Ohio. I'm, I'm having a hard time keeping up with everything, I have to admit. <laughs> um. I, I knew you were gonna. <laughs> I knew you were. It's just it, this year is like the year of the insane vaping taxes and other insane vaping regulations. Um, I, I mean, you know, this thing in Utah is it, that scares me. The 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 cap on on nicotine. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that's. You know, it's obviously worse. You know, the EU is seeing that at 20 milligrams. Yeah. So well, anywhere yeah. they start, that that's their arbitrary number to move down from. You right. know what I mean? And I mean, I can remember, God, years ago when we sat down and talked about this before, you know, there was ever really like CASA was a thing. I think a mm -hmm. bunch of advocates had decided 54 was where you had to start. 54 or 72, you had to start really, really high so that we could be left with something vapable. And I'm going, do we really need to negotiate with these people like that? And, you know, the answer even then was, yes, it's going to come up. And now we're seeing it start to happen. Well, yeah. but a lot of it, too, don't you think that sub-ohm has had a lot to do with that? Because it used to be, I mean, when you were vaping on a 510 mini stick kit, you know, 24 milligram was really what you needed because you were only going to get 10 drops of e-liquid in that cartridge. Right. And well, if you weren't vaping high milligram, it was just going to piss you off. Oh, sorry. Crap. It was going to put you to the point that you threw it out the door. Right. You know, well, and now they've got these massive plumes and these people are going through 30 milli-juice a day. Well, yeah. Holy shit, if you're going through 30 milliliters a day, I really hope that it's three or six. Yeah, well, um, there's now that. Now we need what we needed before. Well, I, I don't care so much what they think, but, um, you know, I, I wish they wouldn't come up with these arbitrary numbers. If you're going to sit down and write this legislation, the, the least you can do is talk to someone who knows something about vaping. And I'm not talking about, you know, Reverend Glance or Stan the Mechanic or whatever you want to call him and Lisa Ling, former real world TV star turned, you know, um, um, tobacco researcher. These aren't people you should be talking to about this stuff. If you're a legislator, you should be finding the people in your state who vape and talking to them about this stuff because, you know, I, I hate to sound like a broken record and throw something out there about advocacy, but they're really shouldn't do stuff to us without our input. I mean, it, like they say in the UK, nothing about us without us. But that that's like a pipe dream. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
that's what I think should happen. Do I think it will happen? No. Oh, and by the way, I have a very lovely RDA that I, you know, fully, you know, push to its limits and still drip 24 milligram and vape 24 milligram because that's what I need. So that's just me. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, I, personally, I enjoy high nicotine stuff. I sub ohm 24. I have some 36 milligram stuff that I sub ohm. Um, it's, you know, it's part of the experience that I really like. And um, I just don't, I don't feel comfortable with the legislature telling me what, yeah. you know, what is acceptable as far as that's concerned. I mean, I understand that there's a safety issue here, and um, again, yeah. I, I think I think you nip some of that in the bud with good manufacturing processes and 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 uh, providing child resistant packaging, mm-hmm. uh, and of course, you know, education to yeah. consumers that they need to you know keep this stuff out of reach and out of sight of, of children. Um, but I think you can do that without scaring the hell out of people. Um. (laughs) I mean, I think you can do that too, but I also think, um, maybe people in maybe, okay. I also happen to think that the people who are writing these bills are just looking to get their master settlement agreement money back because we're, we're chomping into it pretty good. Um, and I got to tell you, I don't think I ever pictured it happening, but you know, uh, they've reached what's called the Laffer curve where they've taxed tobacco so much that what they're getting back is not what they expect. So they expect to make up that shortfall with vaping. And I really think, I really do think the FDA and the legislators are kind of naive. They simplify it in their minds because it's easier than dealing with the complicated issue surrounding it, which is, we could probably do everything without involving legal sales if we had to, you know, but who wants to do that? I I don't feel comfortable with places where people work being put out of business by ridiculous taxing, you know, structures and ridiculous standards that they can't meet. So you have to stand up and say, no, don't you? I agree. Yeah. So I'm so sorry, Alex. I really am. If I can help you, um, let me know. <laughs> <sighs> I signed up for this. <laughs> I, I know you did. I know you did. Uh, and, and I remember someone saying to you, you think you have time. You don't have time. But, um, uh, you, 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 you've been a great help and, you know, you follow, uh, outlets that I am not necessarily looking at. So, you know, that list that you sent me last night, I think, or was it, I don't know, they're all one big kind of horrible day, but, um, <laughs> the, you know, whatever you sent me the other night was, was helpful. And, you know, I got three bits of legislation out of it. Um, and you know, we, I've got a lot, we've got a lot of help from, from Greg Conley and, yeah. and Julie and, you know, we're, we are a team and, and, uh, it's, uh, yeah. It's a good group. So, yeah. Well, we're going to keep doing all we can. Um, anything 
exciting in the pipe. Well, besides the 106 <laughs> bills, is there anything <laughs> exciting in the pipeline? <laughs> oh, man. Um, I know that we're going to be making some changes to our website. Um, uh, I believe we're updating the how you can help page and uh, I won't go into detail, but I know that we're, we're working on a post that's intended to come out uh, tomorrow or uh, at some point this week. So you can just look on a little newsy opinion type post from Kassa, um coming up soon. Um, yeah. Um, submit your testimonials. It's with testimonials at Kassah.org if you haven't already done it. Um, and I know there was some sort of backlog on that, but someone is logging in once a day and, and making sure that um, you know, you're actually a real person posting and not a bot and putting the testimonials up on the website so they can be easily read. Um, we're not ant- anecdotes. So. I finally um, remembered to do mine. Yay. Yay, Jeannie. Okay. Um, I'm so sorry, Alex. I'm going to let you go <laughs> and get back to being freezing cold and sitting there with 106 bills. Um, really, if I can do anything, let me know. Cool. I'm going to go do some normal human things for a little Yay. bit. Yay. And Good. then get back to it. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. Thank you. Have a good night. Likewise. Thanks. See ya. See ya. <sighs> okay. Um, in other news, tonight at 9 p.m. on HBO is the premiere of Citizen Four, the Laura Poitras documentary about Edward Snowden. For people who are interested in it, I know I want to see it. So you're lucky um, we don't get it shown till Wednesday over here. Ah. No. <laughs> that can't be. Yeah. So, yeah. It's boy, it's been a oh good lord. Where 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 to begin? It's been such an interesting week just um, in tech and privacy news. Go ahead, Miss Jeannie. Yeah, very. Uh-huh. I I asked Jan Last night, I said, did you write this entire show for me? (laughs) I actually didn't. I didn't. This was all just stuff that was bothering me last week. So I guess what we'll do is we'll start with Lenovo. (laughs) From Lenovo, we'll move into Filefish. and, and, And that will be interesting. We've messed up badly here. Lenovo admits to putting tracking software on your PC file this under you can't make this stuff up lenovo group the largest computer manufacturer in the world has made a rather stunning admission that they've been pre-installing tracking software on their pcs the tracking software is made by a company called superfish which apparently paid some very minor compensation to lenovo for putting the software on people's computers the superfish program is a total disaster It has image recognition algorithms, which essentially monitor what a user is looking at, then suggest relevant ads based on what it thinks you might like. This is not only really high up on the creepy side, it also completely destroys internet security. 
Whether you're buying something online or accessing internet banking, the Superfish program essentially cuts the secure link between you and sensitive websites you're trying to access. According to the first user who found the vulnerability a few weeks ago, Superfish will hijack all your secure web communications connections, SSL, TLS, by using self-signed root certificate authority, making it look legitimate to the browser. This means that the tracking software basically fools a web browser into believing that a connection is secure when it's not, all for the purpose of pushing more ads in your face. The scheme is so powerful that even if users uninstalled the Superfish software, the security breach still remains. This is so flagrant, I have to imagine that even the NSA is shocked. I, I don't. After its initial approach of being completely unapologetic and dismissive, Lenovo is now groveling for forgiveness. The company's chief technology officer now says, we messed up badly here and we made a mistake. Duh. But untold amounts of consumers out there have been totally violated. There are a few interesting points to make here. Privacy isn't dead, but it's extremely difficult to maintain. There are so many forces out there trying to pry whatever little privacy remains from us. One has to fight tooth and nail to preserve it. There is no transparency in the system. We never really know what's going on behind the scenes with big institutions. Governments and politicians will lie to our faces. They'll tell us to be excited and that everything is fine. And then behind the scenes, they'll plan for capital controls and huge tax increases. No one has any idea what kind of toxic crap banks have on their bank balance sheets. I didn't write this. They'll post record profits and tell us how successful they are. But internally, they know that it's only a matter of time before they collapse, as we saw in 2008. Every major tech brand are betraying the public in the dark of night with crazy spyware or selling us all out to government agencies. There are very few, if any, big institutions out there that we can trust anymore. And maybe that's how it should be. It's a shark-filled world filled with people who do bad things. Perhaps it's better that a trusted brand becomes the poster child for betrayal. Because if Lenovo is doing this, are we supposed to be so naive to presume that Google, Apple, AT&T, etc. are not? Question everything. <sighs> well, yes. Um, <laughs> this is why I spend... I've spent quite a lot of time in my life uh, installing operating systems onto people's computers. Because they buy their computer, it comes with the pre-installed stuff, yep. and then I install a clean, nice version <laughs> of an operating system without all the manufacturer's crap on there. Yeah. And it's because of stuff like this. Well, of course it's because of stuff like this. But, I mean, the Filefish stuff, it actually gets worse Yes. <laughs> it's hard to believe it gets worse, but um, since we just talked about Lenovo, let's talk about Filefish. <sighs> Filefish keeps de digging deeper and keeps digging a deeper and deeper hole. Still refuses to acknowledge the serious of what its software did. I pointed out earlier that it was fairly astounding that Superfish was basically remaining mostly quiet on the whole controversy over its software. If you've been under a rock, earlier this week, the security community pointed out how Superfish's software, installed by default on certain Lenovo laptops, created a massive security vulnerability. Superfish itself is adware. 
but that's the least of the problems. The software doesn't track your behavior like other adware, but instead tries to insert other buying options when you're viewing images of certain products. It tries to find the same or similar products that you can buy for less and tell you about them. I could see how that might be interesting for some people on some shopping sites if they chose to use the software. But by being a default bloatware install on Lenovo laptops, there was no choice. Furthermore, it apparently was trying to do this on every website. And that's where the real problem came in. Because many websites these days are encrypted via HTTPS. Good, good idea. I do that. Uh, Superfish teamed up with a sneaky company named Commodia. That's pronounced right, Commodia? to install really nasty and poorly implemented Trick. It installed its own self-signed root certificate and then would effectively offer up fake security certificates for any and every HTTPS connection. And of course, it used the same key on every install, and that key was easily cracked because the password was Commodia. Meaning that anyone who has had this installed was basically open to a massive and hugely dangerous man-in-the-middle attack on any HTTPS connection. That's huge. And Superfish still won't cop to it. Its website has nothing on it about this whole thing. Its Facebook page has nothing. Its Twitter feed has only that post from yesterday saying that Lenovo would soon be putting out a statement clarifying things. But Lenovo's statement which has changed over time, admits there are problems and the company is working hard to remove all the damage that Superfish has done and Superfish still doesn't get it. Its latest press statement shows that the company is in total denial about what kind of mess it helped create. It is still defending the whole adware thing rather than the security hole. And the only comment on the security hole is that, quote, some other company did that. There has been significant misinformation circulating about Superfish software that was pre-installed on certain Lenovo laptops. The software shipped on a limited number of computers in 2014 in an effort to enhance the online shopping experiences for Lenovo customers. (laughs) Superfish... Hmm. Superfish software utilizes visual search technology to help users achieve more relevant search results based on images of products they have browsed. This is not the time for your marketing speak. This is the time when you apologize for putting many, many, many people at serious risk. Stop with the PR, sanitized, enhance their shopping experience. Despite the false and misleading statements made by some media commentators and bloggers, the Superfish software does not present a security risk. And no way does Superfish store personal data or share that data with anyone. Unfortunately, in this situation, a vulnerability was introduced unintentionally by a third party. Both Lenovo and Superfish did extensive testing of the solution, but this issue wasn't identified before laptops shipped. Fortunately, our partnership with Lenovo was limited in scale. We're able to address the issue quickly. The software was disabled on the server side, i.e. Superfish's search engine, in January 2015. The statement is almost entirely pure bullshit. No one has complained about Superfish storing personal data, but it absolutely does present a security risk, a massive one, an incredibly humongous, cannot be overstated, size security risk. And Superfish says it does not present a security risk. 
bullshit. And then to say a vulnerability was introduced unintentionally by a third party, that's passing the buck. Yes, it's Commodia, which Superfish doesn't name, who appears to have done this, but it's Superfish who decided to use Commodia's brain-dead stupid method of breaking HTTPS. Yes, you tested it, but your tests suck if you didn't spot this kind of security mess. Finally, disabling the software isn't even the main part of the issue, since the dangerous root certificate still remained after that. And yes, actions are now being taken to fix that, but no thanks to Superfish and its refusal to admit what happened. Superfish takes great pride in the quality of its software, the transparency of its business practices, and its strong relationship with the Superfish user community. Superfish's visual search technology enables millions of people to explore and learn about the world in an engaging and highly intuitive manner. A positive experience has been the cornerstone of Superfish's success. Again, bullshit. If you took great pride in the quality of your software, you'd start this. Again, bullshit. You'd stop this marketing speak and admit you seriously screwed up and put many people at risk. Anyone with a monochrome of understanding of how HTTPS and certificate systems work would recognize what a dangerous situation this was. But neither Superfish nor Lenovo did. At least Lenovo now seems to be trying to make things right, while Superfish remains in total denial, hoping a combination of mostly silence and bullshit statements from the CEO written by marketing are the way to solve this mess. This is not how you solve a mess of this size. You need to own it. You need to come clean and admit that you messed up, how you messed up, why you messed up, and what you're going to do to make sure it never, ever, ever happens again. Superfish didn't do that. And at this point, it's probably too late to ever really try to turn that around. Thoughts before I go on to the next one. Well, yeah. Superfish. Uh, <laughs> I can see them <laughs> spending some time in court in the near future. Um, <laughs> because the FBI are, um, and other agencies have been spending an awful lot of time tracking down and stopping botnets over the last few years. And this security flaw has probably left loads of Lenovo laptops open to being botnets. Because yeah. yeah. it's, it's totally hijacked the security system for Completely. internet sites. I mean, <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. I, I can't believe anybody thought this was a good idea. Okay. Well, I mean, that, that proves to you that the people in charge of large corporations are not smart. Um, a large corporation like the government uh, has this wonderful thing that happens as it enlarges, it gets stupider. Okay. <sighs> Thought Commodia Superfish Bug was really, really bad. It's much, much worse. With each passing day, it appears that new revelations come out detailing how the Commodia Superfish malware is even worse than originally expected. If you don't recall, last week it came out that Lenovo was installing a bit of software called Superfish as default bloatware on a bunch of its consumer laptops. The software tried to pop up useful alternative shopping results for images. But in order to work on HTTPS encrypted sites, Superfish made use of a nasty and horribly implemented SSL hijacker from Commodia, 
which installed a self-signed root certificate that basically allowed anyone to issue totally fake security certificates for any encrypted connection, enabling very easy man-in-the-middle attacks. Among the many, many, many stupid things about the way the, the way that Komodo worked was that it used the same certificate on each installation of Superfish, and it had an easily cracked password. Komodia, which was true on apparently every product that used Komodia. And research have, researchers have discovered a whole bunch of products that use Komodia, putting a ton of people at risk. People have discovered at least 12 products make use of Komodia, but it gets worse. Oh boy, very. You wanna. I, I get the first name is Filippo. Valsorda. Valsorda has shown that you didn't even need to crack Komodia's weak ass password to launch a man in the middle attack, but its SSL validation is broken, such that even if Komodia's proxy client sees an invalid certificate, it just makes it valid. Seriously. At this point, a legit doubt is, what will the Komodia proxy client do when it sees an unvalid, untrusted, self-signed certificate? Because copying it, changing its public key, and signing it would turn it into a valid one without warnings. Turns out that if a certificate fails validation, the Komodia proxy wall will still re-sign it, making it trusted, but change the domain name so that a warning is triggered in the browser. Okay, so at least there's a warning, right? Well, no, because as Valdastria notes, there's another horrible part of the implementation that gets around this. Alternative names. The Komodia proxy copies the server certificate almost entirely. What will it do with alternative names? Alternative names are an X509 extension that allows to specify in a special field or other domains for which the certificate is valid. Boom. The Komodia proxy will take a self-signed certificate, leave the certificate names untouched, and sign it with their root. The browser will think it's completely and utterly valid certificate. So all you need to do to bypass verification is put the target domain in the alternative field instead of in the main one that will be changed on failure. An attacker can intercept any HTTPS connection, present a self-signed certificate to the client browsers. Uh, the client browsers will show a green lock because Komodia will sign it for them. As Veldostra points out, because of this, attackers don't even need to know which Komodia compromise software you're running. They can just fuck with them all. Thought we were done with how bad this is? No, not yet. Because another security researcher going by the name um, the Wick Olean at the Wack Olean found that Komodia uses a rootkit to better hide itself and make it that much harder to remove. Komodia appears to have implemented its system in the worst way possible, and a whole bunch of companies agreed to use its product without even the slightest recognition of the fact that they purchased a massive vulnerability into the computers of everyone who used their products. What's really stunning is that many of these products actually pitch themselves as security products to better protect your computer. So, thoughts? Anybody? Yay. 
Cambodia is a virus. Really, <laughs> it is. Huzzah! Yeah, it is. Yeah. They're lying, sneaking bastards that think they they can just bury it in bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it's unreal. It's yeah, and, unreal. and people thought what the NSA was getting up to was dodgy. <laughs> <laughs> These guys should partner with the NSA. There'd be no stopping them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's not a good thing. Yeah, no, no, no. That's a bad, <laughs> bad, 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 bad idea. Well, at least the NSA try to be subtle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, no, they do not try to be subtle, Barry. Do you see the size of that fucking building they put up? <laughs> the death <laughs> center in Utah. That. That's more subtle than this, to be honest. <laughs> I just, I can't. I can't believe Lenovo went. Oh, God. never mind. But yeah, uh, if you have a Lenovo laptop, run far away. Yeah, um, and can you imagine? Can you imagine being the guy that or the woman that signed the piece of paper and did the final approval on putting the shit in there? Can you imagine well, being there, that person right yeah, now? Yeah, they're 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 somewhere in China, probably not having a nice time. <laughs> probably going. Out of here. I just changed my name. It's not me. Really, it's not me. <laughs> well, you know, with the way Chinese deal with this kind of thing, uh, he's probably in a work camp. Yeah. Yeah, he's probably making, um, actually, he's probably making Halloween decorations for Kmart right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not fucking kidding. Um, now, here's the thing that when she read it, she absolutely and totally fucked that, Jan, <laughs> was written at the bottom of this story. Um, guess who wrote that? And it wasn't very. It wasn't me. <laughs> Visa to track your smartphone location to, air quote, prevent credit card fraud. Visa, famed payment processing company, will be rolling out its new software with location tracking capabilities this summer. It will allow banks to automatically know the cardholder's current location through location tracking functions present in almost all smartphones. This may sound like the bank is becoming your big brother. Yes, it does. However, it will be immensely helpful for cardholders as they won't have to especially call and inform their banks about their whereabouts because they're being tracked by their fucking banks. Moreover, as, pri as per privacy experts, this new feature must be lauded wholesomely since it can potentially curb the incidences of credit card fraud and can optimize customers' convenience. Bullshit. Yeah. <clears throat> it is evident that credit and debit card fraud rates have been on the rise lately, and every year such thefts cost banks and consumers billions of dollars. According to the Federal Reserve, those bastards. Latest available data, the banking industry received a blow, of course they did, of $1.57 billion in 2013 and $4 billion in 2012 due to credit card fraud. How is that any different than the Federal Reserve fraud? The efforts to curb this high rate of credit card frauds have become the primary concern of banks and payment processing firms. Visa's new software is proof of this ongoing drive. Our bank, 
spends a whopping $250 million on cybersecurity, and we are planning to double the expenses this year, states Jamie Dimon, CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase. Bitch. J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, by the way, is the bank with the highest rate of suicidal bankers, judging by the list of 75 that have offed themselves so far this year. Isn't, How- isn't that also the one, Jan, that most of the major stockholders live in a desert in the Middle East? Yeah. No. Yeah. Or is it yeah. city? Well, it's one of them. It, it doesn't matter. They, they live somewhere with uh, my money, basically, and your money, basically. Um, okay. How it works. From April onwards, banks will be updating their smartphone applications. I'm so happy I never put my anything from any bank on my smartphone. Their smartphone applications to incorporate this new location tracking feature from Visa. Upon consumer approval, the software will, after some time, update the computer's home territory within a 50-mile radius. If the consumer conducts transactions using his or her debit card, then the possibility of risk factor will be minimal. As soon as that consumer travels outside the location, Visa will be notified by phone. The software will determine the change of this location, either through shifts in the cellular data plan of the consumer or when the phone is connected to a new Wi-Fi network. Oh, so, like, are they going to use Stingrays? Yeah, they're tracking you everywhere. When the consumer will use his or her card from a new location, Visa will have knowledge about it already, and therefore a credit card fraud alert will be avoided. Mark Nelson, executive of Visa, states, We will be able to compare the merchant's location to the most recent cell phone location to show it's a less risky transaction. Consumers can deactivate this function at any time, and Visa also promises that the location tracking feature will not be used for advertising or marketing campaigns. <sighs> what, sort of, mm, what sort of frauds can it prevent? Visa's location tracking software will directly target counterfeit credit cards, which means criminals won't be able to use stolen credit card codes and information using new card equipment. Counterfeit cards look just like real cards, but the information on the magnetic stripe is retrieved, read, and stolen from someone else's bank card. Visa aims to prevent a good portion of such fraud through the software, claims Nelson. This will be possible because counterfeited cards are usually used from a new location, while the owner's current location will be known to the bank. Yeah, they don't own you, do they? Visa announced its new anti-fraud measure on Thursday and clarified that not every potential fraud situation will be addressed by the software. For instance, if both the phone and credit card of a user get stolen, the Visa won't know that a fraud occurred unless the consumer directly contact and inform the company. This version of the software also won't address the probability of purchases being made online using data from a stolen card, but Nelson affirmed future versions will be equipped with this capacity too. <laughs> MasterCard will also be rolling out a pilot program to integrate biometric data, like fingerprints, face mm-hmm. and voice into the firm's payment system to ensure authentic transactions. Um, three things, okay? Yes. One, I have never put that fucking piece of shit program on my phone for the bank. Two, uh-huh. two. Um, 
I don't have my cell phone stuffed up my ass like most people. Okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, we have left and, and gone to Buffalo shopping, which, by the way, is outside of their 50-mile range, so fuck them on that, too. Yeah. And third, if I have my phone with me, there's a really high likelihood that the motherfucker's dead. <laughs> that the battery is just dead. There is a oh, I reason know. that I carry a 7,200 milliamp-hour battery booster pack in my purse that's the size of a suitcase. So, now, so what's going to happen to me, Jan? They're going to go through and they're going to be praising this and how wonderful this is and everybody should do this and then some dumb motherfucker in Washington is going to say, we need to make this a law. Um, Everybody's got to have this. And then I'm going to be locked out of my bank account or what are they going to They're going to tell me that I can't have a Visa card? I have no idea, but I've got to tell you, the Visa card stuff is bad enough. The MasterCard, the fact that it's going to, you know, do voice print, biometrics data, that's kind of more fucked up. Now, that, now, that's, yeah, my, my comments on this, right. Uh-huh. So the, the two largest types of fraud to do with credit and debit cards at the minute are, let's see, Online transactions, bingo, and and cards stolen during a mugging, where mm. indeed they also would probably normally take your phone. Phone, yeah. <laughs> unless no, they're really strange robbers. Um, <laughs> it's it's not none of that makes sense. Why yeah. do they need that much information? Well, I'll tell you, the banks in the UK, or at least my bank, already does track where I use my card. And if it's a suspect transaction, we'll put a they stop should. on it they and contact me to see, yeah. you know, it doesn't need Visa to do it. My bank already does it. <laughs> yeah, my bank calls me. Now, and here's the stupid thing about Visa. Um, last summer, remember me when we went on vacation, Jan, and we, we left Pennsylvania uh-huh. and we went down through Tennessee or we went through Kentucky and Tennessee and we went down, we took Bernie to... Um, Atlanta, Georgia, and then we came all the way back up through the East Coast. Now, we were gone for two and a half weeks. Okay? I used my Visa card, and Paul used his Visa card, all the way down through here. I mean, state to state to state to state to state. Do you know that when we stopped at a Sheets gas station on Interstate 80, in back in Pennsylvania, okay, <laughs> three fucking hours from home, two and a half weeks into this trip... Them motherfuckers froze my card for possible fraudulent activity. I spent $900 in Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> bastards didn't blink an eye. But try to put $40 worth of gas in a car, it sheets in the state where I live. Oh my God, we have a problem. The only time I had it happen was when I was, weirdly... Doing my regular shopping in the normal shop that I do my grocery <laughs> shopping in, but at a different time of day. Wow. And I got a phone call off the bank that evening. Well, we're not sure about this transaction. Pardon? <laughs> <laughs> it's really like, it's a shop. Come on. <laughs> well, I, okay, you were talking about your phone battery not having any life left in it. Oh, Jeannie, did you not listen to all the, um, 
you know we've talked about this before. The reason when you're having a meeting, people take and throw their phones in the freezer and stuff. You know, executives will take and throw their phones in a freezer in another room. Uh, just because that somewhat muffles what people are able to hear. And it doesn't matter if your battery is live to you or dead to you. There's still enough of a residual charge that you can be tracked through that. And I don't even know if I put any story about the SIM card thing onto the, sh- onto the show notes for this evening. But I should have. And if I didn't, I'll get to it next week. Trust oh, me. There's a, there's a lovely article I'll show you about tracking okay. where phones have been through their battery usage. Um, d- <laughs> have, have they not looked at coverage maps, though? I mean, I, I'm serious, Jan. Have you have you ever taken time and looked at the cell coverage maps for mm-hmm. the United States? Yes. You know, <laughs> city people don't generally pay attention to that shit because they don't care because they've got bars. Mm-hmm. Okay. By the way, when we were in Atlanta, Georgia, and we were on the 57th floor of the Western Hotel, there's no fucking cell service there. evidently cell towers don't broadcast up i don't know but (laughs) if you look at the coverage maps for all of these different cell carriers there is a lot of this country that doesn't have service yeah there is a big gap yeah so if you're there you're not going to be able to use your visa card I mean, See, this I, is just getting ridiculous because the banks don't want you to have your fucking cash either. <laughs> God forbid you go to a bank and want cash. Oh, it's not <laughs> just that. Don't forget they changed the transaction rules this year that said if you have money that you have put into the bank, it becomes a loan you have given to the bank and they have no obligation to pay you back in the event of a crash. This is why I keep saying we need to have a talk about what money really is. Um, Money is not the stuff you store in the bank. Money is the stuff you take out of the bank and you buy seeds, you buy things to provide for your family's future, you buy things to prepare in the case of an emergency, actual things that you can touch and hold in your hand. I would say uh, there's some lead that could be put to good use that you could buy, um, preferably before... The ATF makes it illegal. Lead, um, copper, and nickel. Mm, yeah. There's a lot more valuable things you could be putting your money into that um, will pay off in the future and letting the banks suck it away from you. Um, and that story was just another reason why you should not trust the banks. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. I don't oh, I, I never have anyway, so... Well, you you can't. You know yeah, I mean, you've got no option but to use them, but trust them. No. Well, you've you've got options, but I mean, you know, all of that really depends on how safe and secure you can do things online. And I am starting to doubt even Tor-based operations are secure as we would like to believe they are. It's a little harder for somebody else to find out what's going on, but not as hard as I think we think it is. Oh, no, it's... Uh, well, <laughs> I've said to you before, if somebody really wants to know what you're doing, they'll know what you're doing. I mean... Yeah. And, unless no you live in a cabin in the middle of a forest somewhere 
and your nearest neighbors 50 miles away. Yeah, you wind up being Ted Kaczynski, the fucking shoe bomb, Unabomber, with your 900-page manifesto. Yeah, no one wants to live like that either. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. NSA braced for new leaks. There's a shocker. Foreign security firm uncovered cyber spy methods. Yay! The National Security Agency, still reeling from massive leaks caused by Edward Snowden, is preparing to be hit with another major loss of secrets, according to U.S. intelligence officials. The leaks are expected to be published in the near future by a news outlet that was not further identified by officials familiar with the details of the compromise. The NSA is aware of the news outlet's forthcoming disclosures and is taking steps to try and minimize any damage they will cause. I don't know, damage in how people trust their government? That seems pretty significant to me. Which you can't. According to the officials, the latest NSA disclosure of secrets is not the result of an insider stealing documents, as occurred in the case of fugitive NSA contractor Edward Snowden. Instead, the leaks will reveal certain NSA technical cyber intelligence gathering capabilities. The officials did not provide details about these leaks. Certain techniques used by the NSA in cyber operations become known to technicians at a non-U.S. cybersecurity firm operating from Mexico. The company then contracted, contacted a news outlet with details it uncovered. A report detailing the breach could be made public as early as this weekend. NSA spokeswoman Vanny Vines declined to comment. The agency is still reeling from the massive... Yeah, okay. Um, okay. Uh, Snowden, currently under temporary asylum in Russia, has sought to expose what he and other critics assert has been illegal electronic surveillance by the NSA. However, most of the disclosures of the Snowden documents are not related to domestic U.S. surveillance, but foreign intelligence activities by the Fort Meade, Maryland-based spy agency. Snowden, in a video interview broadcast by the New York Times on Thursday, said he intentionally left a trail of breadcrumbs for the U.S. government after he fled to Hong Kong from work in Hawaii for NSA in a bid to explain his leaks were not a hostile action. The public interest work, which obviously the government still contested to some degree, he added, that was the initial mechanism for disclosure that triggered a public debate on NSA surveillance. The surveillance disclosures of 2013 are not an attack on the intelligence community. Snowden said, if anything, they are a mandate for reform, a mandate to fix these problems. Snowden said he was frustrated that President Obama had not halted NSA surveillance. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the Snowden leaks, described by officials as among the most damaging disclosures in the agency's history, are continuing. Germany's Der Spiegel on January 17th disclosed an NSA project codenamed Genie, Genie uh, that conducts electronic spying and cyber attacks on foreign networks. One document related to the project warned that the next major conflict will start in cyberspace and the NSA must be prepared to be digitally armed. What does that even mean? Well, well, there's a couple of things it, 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 I, I have to say. One, digitally armed. <laughs> <laughs> if what they've been getting up to already that we know about is anything to go by, they're not ready. Um, and two, they need to change the middle letter. It definitely now needs to be NLA. Because 
National Leaks because <laughs> they can't seem to keep anything secret. <laughs> I know for people that's job is to keep everything quiet and secure and unknown. You know, it's it's almost like someone wants everything they're doing to be known. Yeah. Can't imagine why because oh, they're such know. upstanding fellows. Well, it's, it's like well, you've got some stuff on it later, but. Most of the stuff anybody's found out about GCHQ has come from the NSA leaks, not oh, yes. from any leaks from GCHQ. <laughs> I know, but I will say one thing, and, and we'll get to it in a little bit. Um, I will say I think it's nice that there's actually a way to find out if the GCHQ has spied on anyone in this yeah. room. That's kind of nice. I, you yeah. know, I, I think we should be offered the same sort of thing here. In this country, well, you see, we're not. In in the UK, you see, they treat it like you know what it is. It's a, a sport, a game, you know. So they've got to give you that little chance of finding out what's going on, just to you know play fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not really playing fair. No, what government <laughs> does. Okay, Russian researchers expose breakthrough U.S. spying program. This pissed me off. I was all over the place with this, and everybody was like, yep. The U.S. National Security Agency has figured out how to hide spying software deep within hard drives made by Western Digital, Seagate, Toshiba, and other top manufacturers, giving the agency the means to eavesdrop on the majority of the world's computers, according to cyber researchers and former operatives. That long-sought and closely guarded ability was part of a cluster of spyware programs discovered by Kaspersky Lab, the Moscow-based security software maker that has exposed a series of Western cyber espionage operations. Kaspersky said, uh, yeah. said it found personal computers in 30 countries infected with one or more of the spying programs with most of the infections seen in Iran, followed by Russia, Pakistan, Afghanistan, China, Mali, Syria, Yemen, and Algeria. The targets included government and military institutions, telecommunications companies, banks, energy companies, nuclear researchers, media, and Islamic activists. Kasper B. Kap, Kasper, yeah, that company said. Kaspersky. Kaspersky, thank you. The firm declined to publicly name the country behind the spying campaign, but it was closely linked to Suxnet, the NSA-led cyber weapon that was used to attack Iran's uranium enrichment facility. The NSA is the agency responsible for gathering electronic intelligence on behalf of the United States. A former NSA employee told Reuters that Kaspersky, yeah, its analysis was correct, and that people still in the intelligence agency valued these spying programs as highly as Suxnet. Another former intelligence operative confirmed that the NSA had developed the prize technique of concealing spyware in hard drives, but said he did not know which spy efforts relied on it. NSA spokeswoman Fanny Vines, yet again, declined to comment. I know it's shocking, right? Casper <sighs> Kaspersky published the technical details of its research on Monday, which should help infected institutions detect the spying programs, some of which trace back as far as 2001. The disclosure could further hurt the NSA surveillance abilities, already damaged by massive leaks (laughs) 
by former contractor Edward Snowden. Uh, Snowden's revelations have hurt the United States' relations with some allies and slowed the sales of U.S. technology products abroad. I can't imagine why that is. The exposure of these new spying tools could lead to greater backlash against Western technology, particularly in countries such as China, which is already drafting legislation that would require most bank technology suppliers to proffer copies of their software code for inspection. Peter Swire, one of the five members of U.S. President Barack Obama's Review Group on Intelligence and Communication Technology said the Caspersby report showed that it is essential for the country to consider the possible impact on trade and diplomatic relations before deciding to use its knowledge of software flaws for intelligence gathering. There can be serious negative effects on other U.S. interests, Wire said. According to Caprisby, the spies made a technological breakthrough by figuring out how to lodge malicious software in the obscure code called firmware that launches every time a computer is turned on. Disk drive firmware is viewed by spies and cybersecurity experts as the second most vulnerable real estate on a PC for a hacker, second only to the BIOS code invoked automatically as a computer boots up. The hardware will be able to infect the computer over and over, Caprisby researcher Costin Rao said in an interview. Though the leaders of the still-active espionage campaign could have taken control of thousands of PCs, given them the ability to steal files or eavesdrop on anything they wanted, the spies were selective and only established full remote control over machines belonging to the most desirable foreign targets, according to Rao. He said Caprisby found only a few especially high-value computers with the hard drive infections. Caprisby's reconstruction of the spying program showed they could work in disk drives sold by more than a dozen companies, comprising essentially the entire market. They include Western Digital Corp., Seagate Technology PLC, Toshiba Corp., IBM, Micron Technology Incorporation, and Samsung Electronics Limited. Western Digital, Seagate, and Micron said they had no knowledge of these spying programs. Toshiba and Samsung declined to comment. IBM did not respond to requests for comment. Getting the source code. Rao said the authors of the spying programs must have had access to the proprietary source code that directs the actions of the hard drive. That code can serve as a roadmap to vulnerabilities, allowing those to study it to launch attacks much more easily. There is zero chance that someone could rewrite the hard drive operating system using public information, Rao said. Concerns about access to source code flared after a series of high-profile cyber attacks on Google Incorporated and other U.S. companies in 2009 that were blamed on China. Investigators have said they found evidence that the hackers gained access to the source code from several big U.S. tech and defense companies. It's not clear how the NSA may have obtained the hard drive source code. Western Digital spokesman Steve Shuttershock said the com- company has not provided source code to the government agencies. The other hard drive makers would not say if they had shared their source code with the NSA. Seagate spokesperson Clive Oliver said it has secure measures to prevent tampering or reverse engineering of its firmware and technologies. Micron spokesman Daniel Francisco said the company took the security of its products very seriously and we are not aware of any instances of foreign code. 
According to former intelligence operatives, the NSA has multiple ways of obtaining source code from tech companies, including asking directly and posing as a software developer. If the company wants to sell products to the Pentagon or another sensitive U.S. agency, the government can request a security audit to make sure the code is safe. They don't admit it, but they do say, we're going to do an evaluation. We need the source code, said Vincent Liu, a partner at a security consulting firm, Bishop Fox, and former NSA analyst. It's usually the NSA doing the evaluation, and it's a pretty small leap to say they're going to keep that source code. Kaspersky called the authors of the spying program the Equation Group, named after their embrace of complex encryption formulas. The group used a variety of means to spread other spyware pro- spying programs, such as by compromising jihadist websites, infecting USB sticks, CDs, and developing a self-spreading computer worm called Fanny, Kaspersky said. Fanny was like Suxnet in that it exploited two of the same undisclosed software flaws, known as Zero Days which strongly suggested collaboration by the authors, Rao said. He added that it was quite possible that the Equation Group used Fanny to scout out targets for Suxnet in Iran and spread the virus. Um, the thing I keep coming back to is that there is zero chance that someone just stumbled onto that Zorse code. Ooh. No. They have to be given it. Yes. Or steal it. Exactly. Because, so, yeah, yeah. The, the tech companies do not release the firmware source code uh, unless they absolutely have to. Mm-hmm. Especially hard drives. Um, hard drives, mm-hmm. uh, well, they normally keep the same model for years, but even then, hardly any of the hard drives get updates to their firmware. They just uh, keep the same one running. Most people don't even realize hard drives have firmware. Yeah. Well. Well, what what is they say? What is it they used to say at the beginning of Schoolhouse Rock? Knowledge is power. <laughs> Literally. So yeah. Okay. You know, I'm I'm thinking I want to not talk about this one right now because I think we need to. A different story in between. Oh, no, not this one. <laughs> we'll get to that fun one in a little bit. Um, yeah, okay. Let's talk about the great use of computers by our government. <laughs> <laughs> ah, hackers still in the U.S. State Department's email system. Three months after detecting some unauthorized activity within the U.S. State Department's email systems, government officials are still unable to clear the network. The computer network was shut down in late October to ensure security. Prior to the State Department attack, the hackers initially targeted the White House computer network. Since then, other agencies fell victim, including the U.S. Postal Service and the National Weather Service. Who the fuck hacks the National Weather Service? The U.S. military confirmed that its systems were secured. Temporarily, some U.S. officials were asked to stop using their official emails and use Gmail instead because that's secure. (laughs) There are assumptions that it could be either Russia or China that are initiating the privacy breaches, so the FBI started the investigation. But three months later, three people familiar with the investigation told the Wall Street Journal that the government hasn't cleared the email system of the State Department and that the hackers still have access to the network. 
The National Security Agency is scanning the systems because they're good at that <coughs> and blocking the hackers. But those steps are not enough because hackers are still able to find a new entrance by altering the codes. The sources added that the investigators are still unsure of the data taken. We deal successfully with thousands of attacks every day, State Department spokeswoman Mari Harf said in a written statement. We take any possible cyber intrusion very seriously as we did with the one we discussed several months ago, and we deal with them in conjunction with other relevant governmental agencies. Russia remains suspect because of the similarity to the wall similarity of the malware to other tools linked to Moscow and that it might be related to the UK Ukraine crisis. The NSA is still tracing the origin of the attack, according to two sources of Bloomberg's. The Russian embassy and the FBI refused to comment on the investigation. That make you feel good. Well, just, who was it that lost their email when they're being investigated recently? Lois Lerner. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Maybe they were the hackers <laughs> were in trying to find that for them. Yeah. Oh well, they mysteriously found some of her emails. Remember? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, on the backup server, you mean? Yeah. You, no, they had to go to their because they. They back everything up, and then they stick it out in the cloud. Yeah. How secure is that? Well, yeah. <laughs> it is secure, but only if you know what you're doing. Not, uh, not very. Ask that Hunger Games chick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, well, I mean, your the, the, fact that, never- the fact that the hacker, it says the article, the hackers are altering code and creating new entries, that means their whole system is basically to use uh, an an IT IT, um, description fucked. (laughs) I was going to say, their entire system is compromised, but um, you know, that is Once once they're in and they're able to start playing with the code, yeah, the system's not usually <laughs> salvageable. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's probably cheaper to go with something completely new. But what do I know? Uh, plenty apparently, but not as much as I guess I should. Um, the GCHQ one. Does that seem yeah, like this is the only one? story I didn't know anything about. You can now find out if the GCHQ spied on you. People from around the world can join a campaign to find out if British intelligence agency GCHQ illegally spied on them and force it to delete the data. The move follows a ruling by the UK's Investigatory Powers Tribunal that the GCHQ's use of data gathered by the National Security Agency in the US was unlawful prior to December 2014. Following the ruling, its rights charity Privacy International said it would ask the court to confirm if its own communications had been unlawfully collected. The legal request is now being extended to millions of people around the world. The tribunal's ruling means that anyone can request the deletion of NSA records unlawfully shared with the GCHQ. A short form on the Privacy International website asked people for their name, email address, and telephone number to help find the data. Information collected by spy agencies includes emails, phone records, and internet communications. Ongoing sharing of data between NSA and GCHQ is only legal as it has partially been disclosed by authorities. Prior to this disclosure, the GCHQs had access to NSA's data that was secret and thus was unlawful. 
The campaign will allow members of the public to find out how the Snowden revelations affected them personally and force GCHQ to delete illegally collected data. British citizens and people around the world can join the campaign and find out if they were illegally spied on by GCHQ. Privacy International said it would collate the inquiries and submit them to the IPT, something that would be prohibitively difficult for individuals to do on their own. It cautioned that due to the complexity of the requests, it might take months or even years for GCHQ to respond. Only data collected by the NSA and shared with GCHQ will be considered. The ruling against GCHQ earlier this month was the first time the tribunal had ruled against the UK intelligence agency in its 15-year history. The case, bought by Privacy International and others, centered around GCHQ's access to information from NSA's PRISM and upstream data collection tools. The sharing of data between the NSA and GCHQ continues to give UK security services access to huge amounts of data. In one month alone, the NSA's upstream created 160 billion inception records, interception records, while in one day, the NSA collected nearly 700,000 email address books from Yahoo, Hotmail, Facebook, Gmail, and others. Privacy International, Bites for All, Liberty, and Amnesty International will soon lodge an application with the European Court of Human Rights to challenge the tribunal's December 2014 ruling that GCHQ's ongoing access to NSA data is lawful. There's a link underneath that where you can go to the Privacy International website and fill out that form if you're at all curious. If you would like to know if you were spied on. So, there's that. That was <laughs> ki- that was kind of uplifting sort of. Well, yeah. It, it's it's it? fun. <laughs> it wasn't totally terrible. Um, ah. But you notice it's uh, they're very specific in the wording. Yeah. From Only data collected time. by the NSA. NSA. <laughs> so yeah. they're not going to get rid of their own data. It's just no, that just foreign data. data. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> and I'm sure there's no copies of that that exist anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll give people a link to that. Oh, no. Give people a link to that one. Hang on. There we go. But yes, uh, as I say, it is quite funny because yeah, you can see how UK laws set up though. (laughs) Basically, even even our spy services have a regulator. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It uh, it's interesting. Okay, Um, how about we go here? Proof that the F- FDA isn't protecting Americans' health. This well, has who nothing. To... Who to guess? Oh, I, I, did... I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the people who took Chantix. Making drugs is tricky business. It's also expensive, so it's no shocker that labs take scientific shortcuts while trying to get a treatment to market, or can start earning back the millions of dollars spent in development. Whenever the FDA catches falsified data or unreported side effects, it issues a warning letter to document the bad research. That's good. But a new study shows the FDA also goes to extreme lengths, from bureaucratic obscurification to outright redactions to hide any links between that negligence and any particular drug. That makes it impossible to tell if those letters are doing anything to protect consumers. No, they're just creating paperwork to cover their asses. So basically, they're 
it's fucking pointless. They're you know, creating paperwork they, to cover their asses. Wonderful regulations, and everybody's got to follow this. And oh my god, this company didn't follow this, and we need to write them a written reprimand. But <laughs> we're not going to tell anybody. <laughs> That's kind of yeah. yeah. Information ain't always pretty. Uh, you would need to like see this thing. The busted-looking chart below, which it looks really bad, is a list of clinical trials. The crucial studies that ensure that drugs are safe and effective contained flaw re- containing flawed research. And it's a pretty big fucking document. This information came from the FDA, but not directly. Instead, a team of investigative journalists had to scrounge to find the missing links between bad research and drugs it was performed on. I look at warning letters from the FDA and see these awful things happening in clinical trials that are rarely reported, said Charles Selfie, a journalist and professor at NYU who led the research. The 57 clinical trials listed, there are 78 records because some clinical trials contain multiple lines of bad research, are only a fraction of what he found. Um, if you click on where it says published evidence, there, a link will pop up. Can somebody okay. put that in chat? Okay. Um, In all, he published evidence of approximately 600 clinical trials with significant scientific and ethical lapses. Ethical lapses. I'll remember that. Lapses that the FDA did their best to hide. Want some examples? How about the study on a treatment for leg blood clots that claimed the legs were getting a lot better one of the patients actually needed his foot amputated? Or falsified research in eight of the 16 research sites investigating a single blood clotting treatment. Or the researcher who was disbarred and sent to prison for overdosing a chemotherapy patient. All of these were reported in warning letters, but missing from the peer-reviewed research. This is why peer review is no guarantee that research is good. You overdosed and killed the cancer patient with cure and you got a warning it should I point out that technically the the leg thing mm-hmm. they're, they're actually correct because the leg was fine it's the foot that went <laughs> yeah well to find connections between those lapses and the drug trials they affected Sophie had to piece together a puzzle of FDA paperwork he's a bit of a professional muckraker even analyzing Jonah Lear's journalistic misdeeds at Wired. Over the course of a semester, he and his investigative reporting class issued Freedom of Information Act requests and combed the FDA's websites to find warning letters. Disclosure, I am a former student of selfies but did not contribute in any way to this investigation. But the FDA removes any information in those letters that could be tied back to the drug being studied. By omitting or redacting the names of drugs, the names of clinical trials, and any information describing how the misconduct affected the outcome of the trial. That meant Selfie's team had to cross-reference clues from the letters with other reports about clinical trial warnings and the occasional notification contained in peer review. But even with a small army of grad students helping to drum up evidence, Selfie was only able to close the loop on 57 of 600 warning letters. 
Whether or not the fruits of this faulty research are sitting on pharmaceutical shelves is a mystery. These results are disconcerting, especially in the larger context of research infractions. The number of scientific retractions closely monitored by sites like Retraction Watch, which I love, has risen sharply in years, and the fraudulent research behind those retractions isn't limited to clinical trials. Bad science is everywhere. It's not clear whether there's actually more bad science than there used to be or whether we're just better at finding it in the Internet age, but in either case, it puts us at risk. In the case of clinical trials, all this intentional fogginess makes those reports useless to who they should matter to the most, the drug-using public. Unless you're lucky or you have the time to go through FDA documents and crack the retractions, said Selfie, you can't know if the drugs you are taking are based on faulty research. Clinical trials are years-long, rigorous scientific tests that are supposed to ensure a drug does what it says it's going to do without debilitating side effects. They should be held to the highest standards possible. Your doctor weighs that data against your patient history to make sure you get the proper treatment. They'll be digging through the journals to find out if the drug works, Harfi said. And those, if those studies don't show that there's a problem, then your doctor is not going to find that out. By removing the link between warning letters and drug trials, the impact, the FDA has hamstrung your doctor's ability to make an informed decision about your health. Talk about bad medicine. Yes. Mm-hmm. Not a shock. No. Um, as far as I'm aware, the regulator in the UK is better at that sort of thing, but it does mean it takes it years, and I do mean years, to allow the NHS to use drugs. So you have all these new cancer cures and it takes them 20 years to allow them to use them. You know, you take take Chantix, for example. Oh, the the stuff (laughs) they hid on Chantix, the people who hid that stuff from the drug companies and from the FDAs should be taken out and fucking lynched. Yeah. I mean, they publicly the fact that people were killing themselves over this drug, and not just a couple people. And they're still covering it up because they, they, they we put a black that, box warning on it. Isn't that good enough for you people? Yeah, yeah, and that's what that whole post. I put a post up on. That's why, Gian, I'm telling you, I swear to God, I thought you wrote this thing because <laughs> I have been ranting all week on a lot of this shit, and the FDA was one of them. I'm like, these people don't protect you. They're not protecting you. They are not out for your best interest. They nope. are further. Uh, yeah. I mean, Chantix, I haven't looked up what the current, uh, how, how much the current in 100 millions of court settlement is so far. Oh, they're protecting your food supply. The fuck Bullshit. they are. They are helping write laws that make it illegal for you to go buy a meat farm that has inhumane, unsanitary, awful awful practices, you can't take pictures of that and turn them in. It's illegal. Why the fuck is that illegal? (sighs) Same as you had stuff about the the pig farms in the US. Uh, Yeah, the the information I saw about that wasn't from the US. (laughs) It was reporters in the UK doing the story. They don't, there's a lot of stuff that isn't really, 
fully reported in the United States anymore. I, I don't know if you've noticed it. We actually cover a little bit more hard news than most news organizations do. Yeah. So. We're, we're um, the dirty, down and dirty, nitty gritty of stuff that mass news doesn't want to put on the TV at 6 o'clock at night while you're eating your dinner. Yeah, well. Work. <laughs> yeah, I don't think people want to hear about people losing their feet when they're eating dinner, but hey. Um, okay, so we went through the GCHQ and the FDA just sticking it to consumers. Just getting it from both ends from those bastards. Okay. And Barry, I know Kevin talked about this for 37 seconds last night, but I'm going to bring it up again. Couple banned from adopting child after husband seen using e-cigarette. So you can speak to some of this because you Mm -hmm. live in the UK and that's why we're talking about it again. A couple has been stopped from adopting a child after the would-be father was seen smoking an e-cigarette. The decision by social workers at Staffordshire County Council came after the pair had passed a long series of tests to qualify as parents. They were told they could not adopt if either of them had used an e-cigarette in the past 12 months, despite experts saying that vaping poses little or no threat to children in the home. The couple told the Mail on Sunday, quote, When there are so many children desperate for a family and a stable home to put up such trivial barriers is ridiculous. According to its investigation, at least 13 councils in England ban e-cigarette users from fostering or adopting young children. um, Air quote Abigail and air quote Brian, who do not want to give their real names, approached the council in December 2013 after several failed IVF attempts costing over, wow, 20,000 pounds. Um, I'm sorry, 200,000 pounds. By last September, having undergone medicals and interviews and having proved they were of sound character and financially capable of raising a child, the pair thought they were on track to adopt. But when a social worker saw Brian using an e-cigarette, everything changed. Brian, 45, said, By then I'd stopped smoking completely and hadn't had a real cigarette in months. I was using an e-cigarette as a secession aid to ease the nicotine cravings. The social worker warned them the council did not allow smokers to adopt young children, although she was unclear about its position with e-cigarette users. She later told them the council would not place a child with anyone who had used an e-cigarette in the past 12 months either. Public Health England recently stated the risks of passive exposure to electronic cigarette vapor are likely to be extremely low. Many councils cite guidance from the British Association for Adoption and Fostering, which recommends users of e-cigarettes be considered smokers until concerns about the devices are cleared up. However, other councils cite alternative guidance from the Fostering Network, which says that people should not be prevented from fostering or applying because of e-cigarette use. Professor Robert West, Director of Tobacco Studies at University College of London, said the policy was, quote, badly thought out, and would cause significant harm. There are so many misguided misconceptions about e-cigarettes that policymakers and the public are getting very confused, he added. At least 13 other councils across England state they will not place under fives with e-cigarette users. These include Bury, Kirklees, North Ty- 
Tyneside, Durham, Warrington, West Sussex, Poole, Cornwall, Camden, Wolverhampton, Sandwell, Walsall, and Dudley Councils. I'd have made Barry pronounce all of that shit, Jan. (laughs) (laughs) Did I pronounce too many of them really badly? No, 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 mostly fine. Mostly fine. Mostly fine, except for that one. No, okay. So, what the fuck? Yeah. Now, uh, funnily enough, VTTV, we've been talking about this a lot. Uh, Not on shows yet, but yeah, we've been researching into this. Um... And and we happen to have got access to the BAAF's documentation, its guidelines. Nice. Nowhere does it mention users of e-cigarettes being considered smokers, and it doesn't tell these uh, social workers... I mean, it doesn't even ban smokers from adopting, let alone e-cigarette users. Um... So, so what, just, what's happening here is it's that particular council's social works department has decided and all these other councils have decided that oh, if you use an e-cigarette you can't adopt. It's not policy officially anywhere. But they're invisible unspoken rules. Yes. Lovely. And this comes from uh, in the UK I'm sure it's probably the same in the US. A lot of these social workers who are looking up, supposedly looking after these kids, loads of them have no life experience. Loads of them aren't even parents themselves. Yeah. And they're the ones that are supposed to be giving people advice. Um, well, I know... I, I saw, I think it was in the Vapors Network group when the story was posted... Mm-hmm. Um, somebody who had a sister who works as as a social care person in in like one of these councils said, you know, my my sister works in this place with these people, and you know, went to take her to lunch or something, and this woman who worked with his sister is standing in court holding a baby without a diaper, and as babies will do, everyone who has a child knows this. Everyone who's babysat a child knows this. If you hold up a baby without a diaper, what happens? They're going to the bathroom. Yeah, and they're going to do it on you if you're a fucking dumbass. Well, you're careful where you point it. Yeah. Exactly. The baby peed all over her, and she <laughs> slapped the little tot down on the table in front of the judge and said that the parents were unfit to have this child quite obviously because look at what the child had done. So this is the quality of people you have out there influencing whether you should be able to adopt a child or not. Really? Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's been going on for the last seven years in one Scottish region. Um, one of the Scottish millionaires, um, the Glogue family, as it happens, own one of the largest um, coach companies in the world, basically. Um, and her mother died in a care home and received bad care. So this millionaire has now given a grant to several of the universities and colleges that train medical people 
to bring compassionate care back into, you know, the professions. Right. Um, and I've seen this in action because this is where I did my nursing training. Right. And yeah, the nurses are fine with it. Social workers, they're fine with doing this training. But mm -hmm. yeah, see getting junior doctors, you know, trainee doctors. Right. Ooh, why do I have to learn this shit? I actually <laughs> heard one of them say that. You're like, because... Uh. Yeah, you need to learn this because of what you just said. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I am absolutely amazed. We have given these people a level of control over our lives that they should not have. Yeah. Not ever. And, and this is just, you know, one of the ridiculous end results of allowing them to take freedom inch by inch by inch by inch. But, yeah, as far as these uh, social workers go, you know, it's people, they've gone to college, they've done social work uh, qualifications, mm -hmm. and then that's it. They go and get a job as a social worker. As I say, no actual real-world experience. And they don't get much training on the job. So, yeah, oh, crazy. Ridiculous. Janie, thoughts? Can you say your thoughts or? No, it just re absolutely drives me insane. It, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> it's, uh, very, I think you and I posted the same, we posted the same link. You know, you've got health organizations over there saying that, you know, this isn't a, this is a viable option for people that want to quit. Yeah. This is harm reduction. The measurable harm in this is minuscule. Yes. But, yeah. but you can't adopt the child that is sitting in an orphan's home because well, they're better off here. To, something, something to show you how bad it is. Um, some people may be aware. Uh, last week, NHS Scotland, or most of it, announced that they'd be banning e-cigarettes from all their premises, including the grounds. So today I was visiting my psychiatrist, and uh, I've got her well-trained already. Mm -hmm. I didn't bring it up. She brought it up. She's like, oh, have you seen this stuff about NHS? I'm like, yes. Mm -hmm. And her basic opinion was, yeah, it's not about health, it's politics. Yeah. Well, it, it's all politics. Yeah. <sighs> okay. So it's, you know... It's no longer health, even in the health professions. It's it's got nasty. Yeah, it, it it's about control at this point. Yeah, it it's not about it hasn't it ceased being about health in about nineteen seventy four. Yeah. That's when it really ceased being about health, and then it became a, a money driven profession you know, money and internal politics. So it, it um, it's had some pretty devastating effects. Really. Well, I mean, even uh, over here, we're a small country, but it, it's good to keep an eye on where your doctor did his training. <laughs> <laughs> because like America, the doctors stopped doing the Hippocratic Oath. But in the UK, certain places mm -hmm. that train doctors still make them take it. That's a good thing. University of Edinburgh. Um, I can't remember. It's 
I think it's University College London. You know, the more old, established places of learning, still getting to do it, but yeah. <laughs> so they're likely to have more of an idea of what real people are like and treat you respectfully than doctors coming out of other places. Oh, and here's the thing, and Michael Morris brought it up in chat that a lot of the hospitals here in the U.S., if you test with nicotine in your system, mm-hmm. A, they won't hire you, and B, if you're an employee already, they'll terminate you. And I'm like, what in the flying fuck is this? Because, God forbid, you know, you're a nurse, and you start stealing Vicodin out of the med cabinet, and then, you know... You bump up to Dilaudid, and then you go to Nicinta, and then, you know, I mean, well, what the fuck? You know, you might as well just take the morphine and shit. (laughs) They don't fire you. They send you to rehab, and they pay for it. What the fuck is wrong with the world? Well, yeah, that's that's why in the UK they don't, um, they don't test for nicotine and stuff. But, because in the UK, yeah, they legally... They have to send you to rehab. How? So you get sent to stop smoking stuff. Well, I mean, see, here's what's legal for them to do that to begin with. Okay, calm down. Two things. In policy documents from, what is it, New Jersey GASP or Americans for Non-Smokers Rights, which leads right back to everybody's favorite, Stan the Mechanic, in 1970, no, 1984 policy documents, if you go back far enough, you can find this. Um, when they teach, because, because they have documents to teach people how to go after smokers. Okay? One of the things they said they needed to do even back then was to make sure that each state in the United States offered smokers absolutely no protections of employment or job security, meaning that they could be fired and, you know, tossed on their ass at a business's will because it would be a useful tool to help people quit smoking. Okay. And there's not all that many states that actually offer you that protection. And some of the ones that do have made noise about lifting those protections. Yeah. And when they take and make the issue no longer about smoking or smokers or codeine and focus instead on the nicotine, well, that's an even bigger, broader group of people to control. Yeah. And that's what this comes down to. That's why, luckily, in the UK, they can't change the regulations about that. They did take an act of parliament, and there's no way that would get voted through. <laughs> Because the only people that would try it would probably be the Conservatives who are in just now. Um, But, yeah, all the other political parties would be like, no, you're taking away people's freedom. Stop it. You're discriminating. You know, I'm actually one of the few people who tell you I'm kind of a fan of some of the things the ACLU has done. But I am ashamed of the fact that they have never stood up for smokers' rights. That is a shame, and they should be horrified that they're allowing this to happen. They oh. really should. <laughs> That's the other thing I meant to mention. The funniest thing in the news, of course, with this NHS Scotland thing, 
Yes. Was was all the all the places mentioning the completely surreal fact that ash, anti-smoking people, mm. and forest, both agreed that NHS Scotland stopping e-cigarette use on their premises was really bad. So first time <laughs> in history, both sides were going, "Are you crazy?" <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it it has built up over the years to where it's gone too far. Yeah. Now, this is just, this is the point where people should be standing up and screaming. You've gone, you've gone too far. You've intruded into my life too far. Get the fuck out. You have no business here. That's what it's come to now in the UK. You, that's why it's kind of getting more positive for e-cig users over here. Well, I've got to Because we have quite some... quite staunch anti-smokers are now supporting e-cigarettes. So, yeah. Because they can see, ah, oh, shit, we've gone too far. Well, I mean, it went too far when for instance, in the UK, before the smoking ban was even implicated, was even bought into anything. Mm-hmm. That that horrible looking woman you know who I'm talking about, the one with the glasses and black hair, stood up yeah. and said, smokers will be relegated to the outdoors. Yes. That was when everybody with two brain cells to rub together should have stood up and said, hey, wait a minute, what? We haven't even voted on this yet. This is ridiculous. This is the point where you stand up and say, no, I am not playing your game. I refuse to participate. This is enough is enough. This shit has to stop. Well, the good laugh about NHS Scotland is it's not actually a policy supported by the Scottish government. So it's not <laughs> actually a law. Christ. So they can't actually stop you using an e-cigarette. They can suggest it. Well, no, they can ask you to stop. And if you refuse, they can ask you to leave the premises. And if you then refuse to leave, they can technically have you arrested for refusing to leave. They can't actually have you directly arrested for using an e-cigarette mm-hmm. on their premises. Because at the minute, if you go to any UK hospital, uh, outside, wherever, there's usually a big no-smoking sign and a lot of smokers. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> half of them being medical staff, of course. Yeah. Right. You can't can't legislate behaviour. Yeah. When are they going to get past that stupidity? Um, and since we're talking about smoking, I think we'll, this is why Jeannie, I think, feels like I put everything in this show for her this week. <laughs> Coffee and cigarettes. Bad for you, but good for bees. Um, plenty of humans rely on caffeine and nicotine to make it through the day, sometimes to the detriment of their health. However, a new study finds that in bumblebees, the natural caffeine and nicotine they ingest from plant nectar actually makes them less susceptible to illness. What's more, what's good for one bee is good for the whole hive. We have found that eating some of these compounds reduced pathogen load in the bumblebee's gut, which not only may help the individual bees, but likely reduce the pathogen 
aphidia spore load in the feces, which in turn should lead to a lower likelihood of transmitting the disease to other bees, said Lynn Adler, one of the co-authors. Plants, it turns out, can be clever when it comes to self-preservation. Without the mobility needed to ward off predators, they turn to other detriments. Some plants, like roses, evolve physical barriers like thorns that make eating them a dicey proposition. Others, like tobacco and coffee plants, go the chemical route. The nicotine and caffeine they produce have nothing to do with reproduction or day-to-day existence. Instead, they act as biological irritants for would-be predators. Bees exploit this to ward off disease. Humans use them when they need a pick-me-up. The findings may change the way growers think about their flower crops, which rely on pollinators like bees to promote growth and diversity. While a flowering tobacco plant may not seem to fit in with the azaleas, what's good for the bees is usually good for the grower. With so many people looking at bee health these days, it's taken a long time for us to realize that perhaps we should be paying attention to how floral secondary compounds mediate pollinator dynamics and their interactions with pathogens, Andler said. The study included eight chemicals, nicotine and antibase, found in the nectar flowers in the tobacco family, caffeine from coffee and citrus nectar, amygdalin from almond nectar, and cuban and Calpitol from turtlehead flowers, gallic acid from buckwheat nectar, and thymol from basswood tree nectar. So all of those things are good for bees. And maybe not so harmful as the public health people would have you think for you. I just now have an image of like you open up the beehive and there's like a little <laughs> section with smoking and pork. <laughs> Little coffee bar. <laughs> Little Starbucks. Yeah. Actually, bees smell smoke, and if. they go gorge themselves on honey. Yeah. Yeah, they're not fans and, of it. Um, yeah, smoke doesn't actually calm bees. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, smoke them. They calm right down. The fuck they do? They go into, <laughs> they go into panic mode, and they're gorging themselves on honey in preparation to fly away from their home being incinerated. Well, a lot of people don't know that, though. You know, they they see things in movies, and they presume that's actually how it is. Yeah, and don't, oh, don't try s- and smoke wasps, either. They just get yeah. angrier. Want to make them happy, spray them with <laughs> raw cane sugar mm-hmm. and yeah. water. That makes them happy. And yes. if, if like, you... Buffet! And if, if you want to make wasps happy... Um, spray them with raid or use a flamethrower. Yeah, they will I, probably fly away from you. Yeah, Always yeah. A good we, thing. we have one of them, the great big long propane torch that hooks onto like the twenty-five gallon, uh, the twenty-five pound propane tank, and yep. yeah. usually they use them for burning grass and stuff in the cracks of the sidewalks and whatever. That thing works really good at getting rid of those great big jamungus three-inch Japanese white-faced hornets. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, those things. Those are evil bastards. Evil. Yeah. They they've put people in the hospital. I mean, just you know, Japan has some. And Vary and I have talked about this before. Japan has some of the weirdest wildlife. You've they need ever to keep seen. the bugs. They they need to keep the Japanese hornets and shit over there. We don't want them here. And I'm not anti-immigration, but I am anti those fucking things. They shut down your kidneys. The, wor- they the kill worst, people. the worst um, environmental predator 
to escape from Japan is Japanese knotweed. It may just be a plant, but once you get it, oh god, it's hard to get rid of it. You have to basically dig the top ten feet of start, uh, soil off your property. Well, we have kudzu down here. It's yeah, not kudzu's like that. Well, actually, kudzu has uses. You can actually eat that. You can make a fabric dye from it. Oh, well, that's why me. I say knotweed's the worst one because it's got no uses other than. Growing a lot and annoying people. I mean, Florida Florida has got some some nasty critters running around down there now, um, thanks to thanks to the hurricanes. Um, I mean, you've got enough boas and and pythons down there now that it's it's absolutely unreal the amount of them running around in the wild. And they're not native; they are an invasive species. And what's that little black and white lizard thing? And when I say little, I mean like twelve Skink. pounds. Oh, um, gecko. That are, no, no not a gecko. Big, meaner enough. Oh, uh, iguana. We, but this we have. One, it's got a name though. This one's black and white, and and they're just like. I don't know, oh. but, but down here we have um, iguanas, and they get real big, and of course they've invaded the islands where the fucking asshole bushes live. And they hang out on the beaches, and the rich people really don't like them because when they go to lay out on their private fucking beach, the iguanas fucking charge at them. Oh, the the tegu, it's T E G U. Yeah, mm. those things they're they're like they're nasty, nasty. The UK has a wonderful thing that happened. Well, <laughs> less so for people who like spending time alone in the wilderness. Um. <laughs> <laughs> British rich families used to like collecting cats, ca- yeah, large cats. Yes, and and in the seventies that got made illegal. So right. instead of killing them, they let them out the let cages and just. So now, yeah, you get occasional reports of giant cats seen wandering about yeah. Merland. You're like, yeah. yes, it's that guy's released panther. It bred <laughs> in the wild with some of the other released panthers. <laughs> and it has a naturalized population now. Yeah, and there's, it, it, it can eat what it wants because <laughs> it's the only predator in the area. So. Well, yeah, and no, you, guys, think- you guys don't have guns to hunt it, yeah, so we do. it's perfect. The know, NSA and the FDA are not um, the only sneaky, conniving agencies there are in the federal government because we had a friend of ours, and for years and years and years here... All of these trappers kept telling fishing game that there were coyotes all over the place. They said, "Oh no, no, no! There aren't any coyotes native here. There aren't, we don't we don't have coyotes here." <laughs> and I'll be son of a bitch if one of the guys didn't catch one in his trap one time that had a Montana game tag in its ear. Hmm. And fishing game says we have no idea how they it got here, they and I'm walked? thinking, well, it didn't fucking walk across the Mississippi River. <laughs> It just laid quietly in the back of a boat. <laughs> We're constantly. Um, we'll be good for, oh, about a year, and then all of a sudden, about 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, you hear them going again. And you get a spotlight out, and the tree line up on the hill up behind my house is just nothing but solid eyeballs all the way across it. 
because I, I have a neighbor I have a neighbor that's about a thousand yards away from me that raises venison for restaurants. And those coyotes line up in that tree line. It's like taking Weight Watchers past the Chinese buffet. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they're Uh, all standing next to this 12-foot chain-link fence going, where's the door? Oh, (laughs) uh, do you know what a lot of places uh, use to put off predators like wolves and coyotes? This is a good one. um, They discovered... Um, no, no, it's something actually very clever. Nice. Some um, wildlife expert discovered um, you can extract certain smells from lion urine, mm-hmm. and if you spray that right in the area where you want your animals protected, lots of these predators won't come anywhere near it. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, and I know this sounds gross, but when you go camping, I mean, human urine will keep damn near anything away from where you camp. Mm-hmm. Damn near. Not bears, but damn near anything else. Not mosquitoes. Nothing else. Well, no. No, Jeannie, you have to smoke those out. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, but um, yeah, you know, that it, it is effective for keeping your wildlife safe, too. Which, like, that's one of those prepper home safety tips that no one will tell you spread your urine around your yard um because it just sounds disgusting but it does work that that's if you're not pissing on your lemon and orange <laughs> bushes to make them nice well i mean i think oh, people that, forget how much nitrogen is free in it what but mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's what you can say uh, i was going to ask very if he was watching live free or die because bernie watches this show on the discovery channel called live free or die and some of these people are a little bit odd. Yeah. And when I say a little bit, I mean a fucking lot. Um, but, yeah, that's what um, this one. The, the girl is really nice. I like her. Her husband is, a, I think he's, I don't think he had any marbles to start with. <laughs> but, um, yeah, they, they collect their urine and they, they feed it to all of their citrus trees. Mm-hmm. It, it makes the, the fruit sweeter. <laughs> Why doesn't he just go piss on the tree? That's what um, uh, people in Italy do. Literally, they go. And, they have citrus trees in their gardens, and they go and piss on them. <laughs> but you're talking about weird people. That yeah, the UK yeah. has weirdest man in the world. I'm not kidding you. There's a guy called the the um, what was it? The Panther Man, right? It's right. an ex. Uh, Royal Marine so a special forces soldier Mm. who liked his body art (laughs) so he had himself completely done like a panther and he bought his own little island in the west coast of Scotland and he's a kind of naturist as well so when I say he's tattooed all over I really mean it that's it, he he runs about in his own little island can you oh, and shit. and um, yeah, tourist boats have taken uh, going past, so people can try and get photos of him. Well, and and you have yeah. this angry ex-marine shouting at them, telling them to piss off. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, somebody was saying about farmers. Um, I don't know what anybody else knows about composting toilets, 
But, um, yeah. If Do not use that on your food. No, you don't use it. You can't use that right away. You have to let that stuff sit like two, three years. After yeah, two, because, three years, everything's completely broken down. Because, yeah, yeah. If it's yeah. come from a human, it carries all the human bacteria that you can catch. Can you imagine right. having so, company yeah. come to your house? Can you imagine, huh? having, can you have an, imagine having company come to your house? <laughs> walking up to the door and they're like, oh my God, what smells like shit? <laughs> Composting toilets aren't actually like that. They, no, they um, don't smell weirdly. They don't. It's trying they to don't. make a really lame joke. I know, but I'm <laughs> just saying. I mean, with a composting toilet, you uh, you have to use sawdust mm-hmm. and straw a lot, and yeah. straw, and and it it really does compost everything. But you really do have to wait a long time. Yeah, you need a huge tank to leave it in. Use. You need well, what they call a silage tank. Yeah. They don't really. Well, in Hawaii, a lot of people have them. Just because of like what septic systems would do to the water out there, like what septic systems have done to the water here in Florida, we have all these freaking dead spots. Um, some of that's from farming. Some of it, I think, is from septic tank runoff. Some of Although it I can't from prove water it. plants. Yeah, but um, the reason so many people, well, so many wealthy people, in Hawaii opt to use those is because in three years' time. They have perfectly useful soil that they can grow food in. Yeah. And there's and nothing wrong with it. Had, oh, yeah, lava rock. And that <laughs> sucks for growing shit. <laughs> well, so, actually, yeah. no, it's actually lava rock's actually very good for growing certain things. Pineapples, mm-hmm. funnily enough. Pineapple. <laughs> so if you're diabetic, you will fucking starve in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, you know, if you're a criminal, you want to get a job on a pineapple plantation. Yeah, get rid only because you won't you won't have any fingerprints left when you're done. <laughs> um, well, not when you're done, but you know, after about three weeks, you don't have fingerprints. Yeah, you you don't want to try and eat an exclusively pineapple diet either. No, because that it'll get you. Well, I mean, the thing is, as you're eating it, it's eating you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Luckily, our enzymes are slightly stronger, but yeah, if yeah. you ate nothing but pineapple, you're probably in a lot of trouble. Yeah, you will get very ill. Mm-hmm. Very ill, very fast. Um, yeah, because most people don't realize, you know, they eat pineapple and they're like, oh, it's so tingly in the mouth. Yeah. Yes, that's it it's, trying to eat you. It's, 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 kind, of, <laughs> it's kind of metally like. Well, yeah, that's because it's eating the flesh. <laughs> I love pineapple. Pineapple is one of my favorite foods, but I like can't eat it a lot, just knowing what it does. Pineapple Although, juice is excellent for your um, it's sale on it the other day. Yeah, yeah. So I did. They, I did lunch. Well, see that here you used to be able to go to the grocery store and pick up the tops. They would save the tops for you, and you could plant them in your yard and have a lovely bunch of pineapples in about five years. You know, and take the tops from them and replant and so on. You could have a whole yard full of nothing but pineapple plants if you really wanted to. Now, Hawaii is shipping them without the tops. So, there there must be replanting time. So. Well, most most of the world's pineapples now come from Africa, weirdly. Well... Yeah, Lisa says some people are deadly allergic to them. Well, yeah, some people are deadly allergic to a lot of things. Mm. Um, That's why they're, you know. Yeah. Well, 
can't really do much about that. Um, you get tops there. We don't get them here. We're in Florida. They, uh, we can't have tops here, apparently. Uh, God knows what sort of food safety rule it breaks or whatever. <laughs> you know. Because <laughs> I'm sure it's something wonderful like that. Okay. Um, I think I was going to talk about this one, so I guess this will be the last one because I want to go get ready to go watch Citizen Four. Because I've been wanting mm. to watch that for a while. Yeah, and I can't been... wait either. It's, uh, it's supposed to be very good. Yeah. Yeah, won an Oscar. Hooray. <laughs> um, cars are delivering tons of driving data to manufacturers with minimal security and even less transparency. Nothing's driving the acquisition of data faster than, well, driving. As new technology makes its way into vehicles, so does the apparent desire to harvest information about the vehicle itself. Between the outside harvesting, automatic plate readers that gather plate plate location data as well as photos of vehicle occupants, and the inside transmissions, there's very little... There's very little any number, okay, there's very little doubt any number of unknown entities won't know about a person's driving habits. Sometimes I have to add words to these because these people need a fucking editor. And that's not even including what's transmitted and collected by drivers, omnipresent smartphones, and their installed apps. Senator Edward Markey has expressed some alarm at the amount of data being collected and distributed by me, by vehicle manufacturers. His office has produced a report, and there's a link if someone could grab the PDF link and stick it up in chat, showing that while many manufacturers are involved in collecting data, very few of them seem concerned about the attendant risks. Even worse, many respondents to his office questionnaire seem to show very little understanding of the underlying technology, and most have not made an effort to fully inform customers as to how much is being collected or how it's being distributed. Drivers of today's connected cars aren't going to like the report's findings. Nearly 100% 100 of cars on the market include wireless technologies that could pose vulnerabilities to hacking or privacy intrusions. While some basic security measures have been implemented, the fact remains that transmitting data always poses a risk. Three of the 14 manufacturers that responded to Markey's questionnaire had actually let their security measures stagnate or decrease from 2013 to 2014, even as the amount of data transmitted rose. Worse, many of the respondents deployed security measures in a haphazard and inconsistent fashion, and nearly all of the respondents seemed unable to fully process the questions posed by Markey's office. Of the 16 automobile manufacturers that responded to the letter, 13 of them addressed these questions in some way. Chrysler, Mercedes-Benz, and Mazda did not respond to the questions at all, and five other manufacturers provided general responses that addressed the question as a whole instead of providing specific responses to the question subparts. Seven of the nine manufacturers stated that they use third-party testing to verify their security measures, while five stated they do not, and four did not respond to this part of the question. The manufacturers were also asked about asked asked about how they secure this type of software delivery updates patches 
Each manufacturer responded with descriptions of how they provide such software through authorized dealers with the appropriate tools. Automobile security experts, consulted by Senator Markey's staff, said that all of the responses are similar in that they presume a malicious actor could not access or acquire the technologies that mechanics have. They state that software updates for systems should be cryptographically verified by the ECU being updated in order to effectively prevent intrusions. These four-wheel tracking devices are collecting and transmitting tons of data, including GPS location, sudden accelerations, decelerations, seatbelt usage, destinations entered into navigation systems, last location parked, distance and time traveled, and a variety of information on other driving components. Almost all of this is transmitted back to the manufacturer for their own use. Nearly 100% of the 2014 vehicles record and transmit driving history. Most of these manufacturers could not provide a satisfactory answer for how they secure this data during transmission, and more than half share this information off-board at their own data centers. Manufacturers seem to consider onboard collections as inherently secure. In the case of onboard storage, no manufacturer described any security systems to protect that data. Sorry, and several of them noted that no security measure is needed since accessing data would require a hardwire connection. But that doesn't mean that they treat wireless transmissions with much more care. Regarding security measures to protect data that is wirely transmitted outside of the vehicle, only six responses were received. Of those, five provided vague responses, naming encryption, passwords, or general IT security practices, and only one specifically mentioned that they designed their systems <coughs> to limit the transfer of personally identifiable information. Part of this is due to the fact that automaker security measures are purely voluntary at this point but the fact that it would likely take a federal mandate to improve security is disappointing. Not only are manufacturers less than forthcoming about how much data they're collecting, but they're apparently interested in providing a minimal level of customer service, proactively assuring these data transmissions are secure. As for the data harvesting itself, manufacturers can't seem to find a better justification for this than, quote, improving the customer experience a phrase pretty much synonymous with selling customers more stuff or collecting for collecting's sake. Most manufacturers retain this data for one to ten years, with only one manufacturer offering the option for users to delete their data at any time. But that single nod to customer agency is far outweighed by the general indifference shown by the rest. Marquis report finds that purchasers may be allowed to opt out of certain collections, but this often comes at the expense of certain functions. Non-manufacturer present presets this information up front, preferring to hide it in the owner's manual in terms of service agreements. The default should be opt-in with upfront explanations of how, when, and why the data is collected, but that would lead to a dearth of information. And automakers, like many other private companies, prefer to gather data first and deal with the fallout later. Although it goes unmentioned in Markey's report, there's also the question of how this data is handled when the government comes looking for it. Most of what's collected would presumably fall under the third-party doctrine, with drivers knowingly turning this information over because of page 173 in the owner's manual, etc., which means it can be acquired by law enforcement, intelligence agencies, 
with mineral, minimal effort or paperwork. There are also other government intrusions that need to be considered as well, like California's desire to state to tie state-enforced emission standards to driving information already gathered by a number of manufacturers. Not only are manufacturers not guarding against having their collections hijacked by criminals, they seem equally unconcerned about safeguarding this vast amount of data from the government itself. No shock there? No, not really. <laughs> Although, I would say if you own a... Was it a Nissan Skyline? Yeah. Yeah, that's the most computerized car in existence. I mean, <laughs> collect data? Phew, that that <laughs> thing tells you if you're taking a different route home. I mean, <laughs> the from usual. No. <laughs> I uh, know a friend of mine has an iPhone. I don't have an iPhone for, I guess, obvious reasons. And every morning, it as she leaves her house, because she leaves her house at about the same time every day, it tells her, it will take you 17 minutes to get to work. And when she went on vacation, it took like a day for it to catch up, but then it finally <laughs> figured out she was on vacation and stopped sending her data about what her drive to work was going to be like as she left the house. I'm like, that's just, that's way too connected for me. Well, you see, I'm, see, that would just make me deliberately have a different time every day. <laughs> <Yeah>. Different route. <laughs> I know. I just think it's funny. Yeah. I couldn't, I could not deal with that level of connectedness to the net. I don't need it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it. it's a very recent thing. Uh, certainly nobody I know from my generation w- w- would like to have that level of connectedness. Yeah. I just... And we were the first generation that had computers, really, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm always amazed when I see how well kids have adapted to no privacy. That freaks me out. And well, it makes me wonder what their kids are going to be like. Go ahead. Well, it's the... there's You'll see photos on YouTube where parents hand their their young children a book Mm -hmm. and you can see the kid trying to swipe as if it's a touch screen rather than opening the book and reading because that's that's what it is now oh, it's a tablet I'll try and why is it not working? (laughs) (laughs) what what did you do? yeah Yeah. these people um, I kind of shudder to think about what would sort of happen if, say, tomorrow everything went bad and there was no power? These people must go out of their fucking minds. Uh, you know, just I when would, they have a storm and they have no reasons. power. <laughs> hmm? I, I would go crazy, but that's for different reasons. Yeah. My games. Ah. <laughs> well, also all my music's on my computer. Yeah. You know, I'm just not that connected, I guess. I mean, I'm connected enough to know what you're supposed to do to keep yourself safe. And I don't actively hide a whole lot of things about myself. I do hide enough, but not like you would expect, I guess, someone who sounds as paranoid as me too. But I also have... 
I have my cards that have RFID chips in them, and some yeah. of them do. I have them stored in the same case with my cell phone, with my blocket pocket in it, so that it's not getting transmitted. Oh, I'm that's just something I meant to say during the bank fraud thing. Yeah. That's the biggest security flaw at the minute, is all these stupid cards that have NFC chips in them. Yeah. Because, yeah, you'll be unsurprised to learn certain <laughs> branches of criminality mm-hmm. have figured out a way to take money off your card from a few feet away. <laughs> well. <laughs> oh, crap. It's just weird. I don't think... I don't think people have really fully thought out what it will be like when you don't even have the illusion of privacy anymore. Although we're getting there now. Hmm. Even the illusion doesn't really exist anymore. Well, we, d- we don't have an illusion in the UK. We're the most uh, surveilled country on the planet. Yeah. But as yeah. I've said before, at least we do actually have laws in place that deal with that. Yeah. Well... <sighs> I don't know. They say when you are watched, it changed your it changes your behavior, and I can see that. Yeah. I don't think in the seventies when surveillance was pretty rare, in the early eighties when surveillance was really rare here, at least I don't think you would have had people putting up with the stuff they put up with today. Now, surveillance is pretty much everywhere. And I am going to recommend that uh, people actually watch Citizen Four. If you don't get the opportunity to watch Citizen Four, I'm going to recommend the documentary We Live in Public. I keep recommending it. You really should see it. It really is worth watching. And it's a few years old. Somebody really needs to make a new one see exactly how much surveillance you're actually under. It's an interesting documentary. And I think that might be it. Um, Advert? Advert. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Amoseek.com. Thanks, guys. Um, We'll see you next Monday. Have a nice night.